You know, we're going to pray this morning as we pray. Um, we're going to pray to the one who does hear us and just heard us sing to him and worship him. If you want to join me here at the front, I want you to come and feel free to join me. And uh, we're going to be praying, of course, for our nation today and praying for our veterans. But it, uh, we're going to be praying for families who have lost loved ones in the, uh, the line of duty serving our nation, right? This is Memorial Day weekend. We remember those who served very faithfully and very faithfully to... Uh, uh, serve our nation with our armed forces, and uh, we have, of course, uh, service members in harm's way. We want to remember them this morning, but uh, but let's let's pray to the one who. And let me just say this: helps us understand what self-service and self-sacrifice is. We don't understand what that is apart from Jesus Christ and what He did for us on the cross. Amen. Um, we understand what genuine love is when we look to Jesus. We understand what genuine sacrifice is when we look to Jesus. And so when we, when we remember as a nation our freedom, and we remember as a nation so many who have died so that we can be free and that we can have the life that we have here in America, we remember that all of that was um, seen in our Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. And so... We remember that as well this morning. So let's pray to, uh, to the Lord. God, thank you this morning for the time that we have to come and worship you once again. God, thank you for your hand. That has been with us already this morning. We pray that you've been pleased and glorified with our music and with our singing and with our praying. God, just with our presence here, we are here because God, we believe that you have saved us. You have poured out upon our lives this blessing, uh, these incredible gifts of grace and mercy that you have poured out upon our lives. And God, we thank you this morning, Lord, just for the time that we have, just this short moment, this hour, two hours, God, that we have to come together at Central and worship you. In light of everything, God, that you've done for us and how you've extended that grace and mercy to us, you pour out so much love toward us, towards us. And we thank you this morning for it. We are here today because of, Lord Jesus, what you did for us on the cross and from the grave. You laid down your life for us. You laid down your life for those of us who would walk this earth and those of us who will come after us. And Lord Jesus, you showed us what submission to authority looks like. You showed us what love looks like. You showed us what self-sacrifice looks like. You showed us, Lord, what it means to lay down your life for even those of us, and that would be all of us, Lord, who did not begin our lives worshiping you, did not begin our lives, Lord, serving you, for we are sinners. We are broken, God. We are people that, Lord, do not deserve your grace and your mercy. And let, yet, Lord Jesus, you laid down your life for us. That we might have an opportunity to believe in you and embrace you and be forgiven by you and redeemed by you. That we might be in this space, in this place on a Sunday morning to be able to worship you together, to, to worship you individually. And, Lord, know that we don't carry guilt out of this place today because, Lord, the sins that we've committed in the past have been nailed to the cross and you, Jesus, were buried in the, in the ground and our sins are buried with you. And you rose from the dead and with us being risen from the dead, from our spiritual death, you have given us new life. 
And we thank you for that truth this morning, and we live in light of that truth today. God, when you look into our hearts, you see the things that we are. You see who we are. You see the mistakes that we've made. You see the areas of sin of our, of our lives, and we confess those to you this morning. God, we leave them at your feet. We repent of them this morning. And God, what we ask you to do is to fill us with your Holy Spirit. We want to be a spiritual people here at Central. We want to be a spiritual church. We want to be filled with your Holy Spirit as a congregation and as a people, not filled with the things of the world. For Lord, you taught us, you showed us that we were not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. To be reminded that Lord Jesus, because of what you've done, God, we are here today to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. So we do that today. Would you replace the sin in our lives? Would you replace the things in our life, Lord, with spiritual things, with your Holy Spirit, with your presence, and with your power? Would you, Lord, then enable us, Lord, to produce spiritual fruit? That we would be a people known for that, and individuals known for that. God, as we turn and think about our nation, we thank you for our nation. We thank you for America. We thank you for the privilege that we have to be a part of this nation, the freedoms that we enjoy, the laws of our land that help guide us and direct us, keep order. We want to thank you, Lord, that even, it, even, if, even though it is flawed, it is, Lord, our nation, and we are grateful to be a part of it. And we thank you for the freedoms, Lord, that we have and that we enjoy in light of those who laid down their lives for us. And so on this weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, we thank you for the sacrifice of so many who have followed the example of Jesus in some respects as they have laid down their lives for us, fighting for our nation over the course of many, many, many decades and centuries, we thank you for the many who have laid down their lives for our nation, many who have been killed in harm's way, fighting for the very freedoms and things that we enjoy, the things that we celebrate. We honor them this weekend. We honor them, Lord, towards you. We don't have their names, all of them, in front of us, God, but we, you know who every individual is who has laid down their life for our nation because, God, every person is made in your image and every person has intrinsic value in your eyes. And so we thank you for their names. We thank you for these men and women who have died for us and for the American ideal, for who we are and for what we stand for and our convictions as a nation. We pray for their families today. We pray for the families of loved ones who have passed away, whether it be recent or many, many years ago. And on this weekend, we pray for your mercy and grace to come alongside them, to Lord, just minister to them on this day and on this weekend. And we pray for our military, serving you around the world, God, in different places, some of which are in harm's way today, that you would keep them safe, that you would protect them, you would provide for them. Think of all of our um, just military personnel serving you faithfully around the world as they are serving our nation. And we pray for them today. God, meet their needs. They have many. Use chaplains in their lives that are embedded on military campuses and bases all over the world. Use them. Amplify their voices and their influence. Those who 
teach and preach the good news of Jesus Christ, counsel with the good news of Jesus Christ, use our, our many chaplains. So Lord, we lay our military before you today. We thank you, Lord, just for the time that we've had to pray to you, talk to you. We ask God for your hand to be upon us now as we turn to your word. Lord, as we turn to your word, that reminds us of the one who has set us free, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, before we get started today, I want to cover a little bit of housekeeping. We are very aware of the light that's flashing. And there is no one that is more distracted by that than yours truly. Because there is no one that is staring at the light than yours truly, okay? So we are very well aware of it. We have a short in our system. We're trying to work on it to keep it off or on, but uh, it is just happening on its own and there's really nothing we can do about it right now. So if you're in that space and you wanna move, feel free to move out of that. If it's distracting you, as it is with me, as I see it flashing once in a while, that's okay. So I just wanna make sure everyone is aware that we are aware of that, very well aware of that, and we have been trying to work on it all morning. So nothing much we can do for it right now, but we'll get it fixed. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Joshua. We are nearing the end of Joshua. Can you believe that? And uh, I'm excited. I've loved this book. I've loved the application that this book has for us as individuals, but also us as a church. And so this morning we're in Joshua chapter 23. And if you know your Bibles, then you'll know that we only have one more chapter. There's 24 chapters in Joshua. So chapter 23 and then in chapter 24. So this morning we are in chapter 23 and we're going to walk through the, this story this morning as we uh, wrap things up, okay, here over the next uh, two, three weeks. You know, as I've grown older, I think one of the things that I appreciate a lot of is, uh, is really understanding um, you know, God and how he works in our lives, what he communicates um, to us. Um, I've learned to appreciate the transparency of God. Um, you know, the Lord doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us enough. He doesn't tell us everything about life, about why, and we all have why questions, don't we? He doesn't explain to us all of the things that we don't fully understand, but he gives us enough of what we need to understand. He communicates enough so that we can understand how to live this life. He communicates about himself. He communicates who he is. And this is what the Bible is. If it's anything else, it is a book about God. It communicates who he is. We don't fully have a clear picture of who God is just by looking at creation. He didn't stop there. He gave us his word. I mean, he opened it and he revealed to us who he is. He revealed to us his plan for our lives. He revealed to us who we are and why we are the way we are. He, he revealed to us his pers personal plan to save us and to rescue us, that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot fix ourselves, but that we need God to step into our lives, to step into the spaces of our life and, and to rescue us and to redeem us. And this is what God does. And I love that about God. He doesn't communicate everything to us about the why questions and about why this is the way it is, or why does this happen over here? I don't understand that. I don't know enough, and I'm thankful for that. I think we focus too much on what God doesn't say to us sometimes that we don't focus enough on what God does say to us. We focus too 
focus so much on, well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Instead of opening our Bibles and, re- and understanding that God has revealed so much to us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, as he was reflecting on what it's like to be a child versus what it's like to be an adult, he says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know, will be fully known or will fully understand and know. We focus so much on what we don't understand, but instead of focusing on what we need to understand that God shows us. In chapters 23 and 24 here, at the end of Joshua, in the book of Joshua, we understand that there are these farewell addresses. What Joshua is going to do is he's going to address in a farewell way his ministry and what God has used him to do. He's about to die He's about to do what all of, all of us do, right? We live our lives, we run our races, and then we're done. And this is what Joshua is doing as he's wrapping up his ministry, his leadership, his assignment, what God has commanded him to do. And Joshua here in chapters 23 and 24 are going to have this, these final addresses. Remember, this is the generation that got it right. This generation is the second generation of Israel. The first generation got it wrong. They chose to follow man's way instead of God's way. They chose to trust in themselves instead of trusting God. They instead wanted to follow their own human logic instead of following not logic but God's word and by faith moving forward. And this was the generation that had gotten it right. They had trusted. They had taken God up on his offer to be obedient. They had taken God up on his offer to be surrendered to that. And what did God promise Abram that is coming to fruition right here in the promised land? What does God promise you and I that is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Well, he promises Abraham way back in the book of Genesis four things that we've seen from the very beginning of Joshua. He promised them land. He promised them rest. He promised them blessing. And he promised them life. And these were the four things, and these things that God had impressed upon uh, Abram er, way, way, way back before this family ever began, the family that would turn into Israel, that would become this nation that God would then give all of the laws to and help them to understand who he is and how to live a successful and fruitful life and to be a light to the nations, to be a a blessing to the nations in every respect. God had orchestrated this. He had ordained this, and now the people of God had been receiving. They were receiving the blessings that God had promised Abram that was now here. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the life that God has for me. I think so many of us do. We miss the life that maybe God has for us because of our fears or because we're not willing to walk by faith or because we're not willing to go down this road or to step out in this space that may seem uncomfortable for us. We want our own maybe, uh, we, we want to live in a box of what God wants for, what we think God wants for us instead of stepping out in faith, instead of being obedient at times, instead of surrendering at times to the will of God for our lives, whether we're young or whether we're older. We sometimes miss the, the life that God has for us. And I don't want to miss the life God has for me. I don't want us as a church to miss what God's purpose and plan is for us as a church as we think in terms of our ministry here in Livingston and in Polk County and around the world. I don't want to miss that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss it. But sometimes we can miss it when we begin to follow our own will, follow our own logic. And so right here, right here in this text... The people of God understand that they have received something. They haven't earned anything. They have received it. 
They fought those battles, but it was God who fought the battles for them, right? It was God who put them into the promised land. It was God who gave them time and time and time again, victory after victory after victory. Why? Not because of their military prowess, not because they had sharper swords or bigger military uh, might, a bigger military might or presence or footprint. It was because God was on their side. It was because God was moving ahead of them. They were not moving ahead of God. God was moving ahead of them, and they were seeing success after success after success because God was on their side. So here, Joshua, at the end, is going to have the first of two addresses. We're going to see in chapter 23. The first of two. Before he is dead and gone, he's going to pass off the keys to success and to blessing. This is not the first time we've seen this example in Scripture. In fact, Joshua has gotten this honest. In fact, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, when Moses is about to be dead and gone, and he's run his race of leadership, and he's led God's people in that first generation, God's not going to allow him into the promised land. He pulls aside Joshua. In Deuteronomy chapter chapter 31, he pulls Joshua aside, and he pours into Joshua as a leader, as Israel's new young leader here in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, the keys to success, the keys to blessing. And here we are now, an entire generation later, and the same keys to success, the same keys to to vitality as a nation, as a people, and, and, and the same blessing can occur. Listen to me, central. That has not changed. The same kind of keys to vitality, the same kind of keys to blessing that lead to blessing have not changed from when Moses passed them on to Joshua, and now Joshua's not going to pass them on to one man, but he's going to pull all the leaders of Israel together, and he's going to have a heart-to-heart, face-to-face conversation with them. And he's going to say, listen, if you'll do these things, it will lead to success. If you do these things, it will lead to blessing. And so we're going to walk through the chapter this morning. So I hope you have your Bibles open. Say amen if you do. Okay, good. You've got your Bibles open. We're in Joshua chapter 23, and I want you to see how Joshua and what Joshua does with these particular leaders. And so in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 23, he summons, first of all, he summons all together the leaders. He summons all the leaders together in one place. Look at with me in your Bibles. Verse 1. A long time after, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their surrounding enemies, Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Verse 2, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and its officers, and said to them, I am now old (laughs) and well advanced in years. So he brings them all together. Here's what we don't know. We don't know when. We don't know where. But what we do know is that this is some time after. Most people believe this is almost 25 plus years after chapter 22 to chapter 23. And so now a lifetime has occurred. And here is Joshua at the end of his life. Some 25 plus years, potentially. Joshua's old, he's dying, he gets all these leaders together. Notice that he doesn't get together all the military leaders. He doesn't have a military conversation with them. He doesn't get all the generals and the admirals and all of the colonels in the same room together and say, listen, if, you'll, if you'll, you'll move your troops here, if you'll position your here, if you'll build this base here. No, what does he do? He gets all of the political leaders together. 
He gets all of the influencers together. He gets all the leaders of God's people together and he brings them into the same room. And he doesn't go into financial breakdown. He doesn't go into a military breakdown. He doesn't go into, you know, uh, the, <clears throat> all of the, the things that we sometimes would run to immediately when it comes to a successful organization or people or a nation or government or whatever. He goes straight spiritual because at the end of the day, what matters is who you are in relation to God. That's what matters. Nothing else matters. If, if you don't get that right, then it doesn't matter how big your military is, just ask Jericho. It doesn't matter how big and thick your walls are, just ask Jericho. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about these things. It doesn't matter how big and how mighty you are, how much money you have. What matters is where you stand in your relationship with God. And if you get that wrong, then everything falls apart. And that's what God is, that's what Joshua, rather, is saying to these particular leaders. The focus here is on how they can keep and thrive in the promised land. Here's the thing, and here's what Joshua knows. As the leaders go, so go the people. If the leaders are not right with God, if they're not walking with God, if they're not in lockstep with what God's will is and his word is, then it all falls apart. Let me say that to us as central. If you are considered an influencer or a leader in this church at some level or some form or fashion, it, it, what matters is how you're walking with Jesus Christ, how you're walking with God in your life. That's what matters. You serve as a deacon in our church. You serve as a, as a Bible study teacher in our church. You serve as some sort of a, a leader at some former, uh, some former fashion, a staff member, a part-time staff member. What matters is how you walk with the Lord. That's what matters first and foremost. So he summons all of the leaders together. And then notice what happens here after verses 1 and 2. Joshua not only summons the leaders, but he begins to remind them of God's blessing. Look at verse 3 with me. It says in verse 3, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the, these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes these nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan and to the great sea of the west. Verse 5, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God has promised you. Jump down to verse 9 and look with me. <clears throat> verse 9 says, for the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. Verse 10, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. He reminds them of several things related to the blessings of God. He reminds them that they had seen the power of God. Listen to me, Central. They had seen the power of God. He takes them back to a place, and he does not give them hypothetical scenarios and hypothetical situations. Joshua doesn't lay out, well, listen, God might work here. God might work here. You know what? God moved over here. No, he takes them back to those moments when they could see the tangible power of God move among them. He's reminding them of these blessings, that God has blessed them with his power. He had blessed them at Jericho when they came in. And you remember when God had this crazy idea of you marching around the city walls? Do you remember how, how at first you thought you were kind of cutting your eyes at each other, thinking to yourself, what is this? What are we doing? Why, why, why are we doing this? And, and then, then all of a sudden you get to the very end after not one, not two, not three, seven days of this. And then you turn to the city walls and you begin to shout and all of a sudden the walls just out of nowhere come crashing down. Do you remember that with your own eyes? 
Lock it into your memory. He takes them to Ai and he reminds them of there in Ai and how they had failed. Why? Because they took matters into their own hands. They got a little too big for their britches as a country, as a nation. And they started to try to do things their own way and how they failed. But when they turned around and started to follow God again, God took down Ai. He took them to a day in their memory, and in their memory bank of when the sun stood still. What? The sun stood still, and it was the longest day recorded on earth. And he reminded them, hey, listen, God is God. He is the Lord, not just over armies. He's not over the Lord over walls. He's not just the Lord over people like, as we fast forward into Scripture, like Goliath and other things like that in Scripture. The Lord is over creation. He can sit, literally do whatever he chooses to do. He has that kind of authority. And when he says, sun stands still, the sun stands still. It doesn't have to matter to, to me how scientifically that works. God is supernatural in every respect. If he raises Jesus from the dead, he can do anything he chooses to do. So, And he takes them right there to that moment. He takes them to memory after memory after memory. Listen, in your life and in the lives of God's people, there is nothing, listen, nothing insignificant that God does in your life. Every season, every moment, every time in your life, there is nothing that is insignificant. Whatever God does, whether it's, it's a challenging season or a difficult season or a good season and you're having joy in your life, whatever you are experiencing, whatever season you experience and find yourself in, God is still at work and we see his power time and time again. He had driven out God's, the enemies. He had driven out the pagans of the land. Down in verse 9, if you go back to that verse again with me, he's reminding them this. And he reminds them in verse 9, for the Lord has what? Driven out before you great and strong nations. It wasn't you who did this work. It was God who did this work. Joshua's like looking at these leaders. Listen, remember this. You did not do anything. God did this work. He drove them out. He wanted your submission. He wanted your obedience. He wanted your faith. He wanted your trust. He wanted you to walk out into spaces that you were not comfortable with. He wanted you to do really wild and outlandish things like walk around city walls. But God is the one who brought about the victory. He drove them out. He is a God of promise. He is a God who delivers on his promises. And he shows them and he reminds them of what they had seen. They had seen the power of God, but not just what he reminds them of, seeing the power of God. They had experienced the blessings of God. The verses we just read, we understand that, they, they, that there was this, they had experienced blessings. God's benevolent hands had been with them. And what did they experience on the back end of fighting and battles? Rest inheritance rest and inheritance you fight for god god fights for you the blessing is rest how many times in the book of joshua have we come time and time again all the way to the end of chapters and it says and the land had what rest from war i don't know about you but an inheritance is not something that i've earned When you pass on, some of you have been recipients of inheritance in the room. Maybe it was your grandfather, grandmother, maybe it was your parents. Some of you, when you put together your wills, you already have people that you're going to pass down money to, or you're going to pass down your home to, or you're going to pass down the things that you've accumulated here on, on earth to. Some of you who are ladies who are widows in the room, your husbands have passed down things to you. 
I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't earn an inheritance. I don't deserve necessarily an inheritance. But it's freely given. But God was trying to remind the leaders of Israel by way of the voice of Joshua here in chapter 23 is they didn't earn anything and they didn't deserve anything. But they were simply managing the very things that God had given to them, land and blessing and life and rest. So he reminds them of the blessings of God. They'd seen the power of God. They had experienced the blessings of God, but they knew the faithfulness of God. He gave them success after success after success. Look at verse 5 again with me. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God, what? Promised you. God is faithful. I mean, long into their future, the Israelites were to look back on the faithfulness of God. That they had not just seen his power, they had not just experienced the blessings of God, but they had known his faithfulness. We sing songs about the faithfulness of God. Do we believe them? I mean, believe them. Because it's not going to be easy to live the Christian life. And when you experience difficult seasons in your life, you and I have to turn to the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He's at work. He's at work in our lives. He's at work in our hearts. Even when everything is crashing down around me, nothing is going right. My feelings, my emotions are telling me one thing. God is telling me another. His word is telling me another. Do I believe it? He is faithful. And Joshua wants these leaders to know because they will face times when all of things like Jericho and the day the sun stood still and the day that the Jordan River parted and all of these things are going to be distant memories. They need to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Joshua reminds them not only of these things that they need to be reminded of and the blessings of God, but he also reminds them that there's this nagging problem that they've got to deal with because all of these great things that God has done among the leaders is to propel them to finish the work. There is this nagging promise they hadn't finished the work. There still remain people in the land. It's what he goes back to here in the verses that we just read. Verse 5 again, he says, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall possess their land. He's reminding them that, listen, you can finish this work. Why? Because of everything in the past. Because you've seen God's power. You've experienced his blessings. You've known his faithfulness. Now go finish the work. God's instruction to them was not to allow people to just continue to move in and take over your lives to live alongside you. Just because you possess the land doesn't mean you, or occupy the land, doesn't mean you fully possess all of it. Kick out the people that are still left in the land. Why in the world would God do that? I mean, they have rest from war. Why would God want them to continue for the same reason God looks to you and I on this side of Jesus Christ and he looks at you and I and he says, do not be unequally yoked. Yikes. When I'm looking for a spouse, I mean, the Apostle Paul said himself in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, that I am not to be unequally yoked with another unbeliever. Why would that be the case? When I'm setting out to find a wife or I'm setting out to find a husband, I'm not to look for someone who's not a Christian. Why does the Bible tell me to do that? What's the big deal? Can I just win them to Jesus? Yeah, sure, maybe. 
But more often than not, what the Bible says is, listen, that person's going to influence your spiritual life. That person's going to draw you away from your first love, Jesus Christ and him alone. And the affections of your heart are, as time goes on, going to be drawn and over to this over here. To this person over here, to that over there. Your heart's going to be pulled. Your heart's going to drift. Your heart's going to be pulled in a direction God doesn't want you to go. So he says, don't be unequally yoked. You have no business doing that. For a variety of other reasons, even in the local church, God is very clear on this here in the local church season of life we find ourselves in. What God says to his people here is finish the job, because if you don't finish the job, guess what's going to happen? As strong as I am, as big as I am, as mighty as I am, you are going to eventually drift and follow other gods, which is exactly what happens. What's the big deal? We got the land now. Praise God. He's given us blessing. He's given us inheritance. Hey, let's start building crops. Let's build some houses over here. Let's start. No, finish the job. Why? Because they are going to influence you. You are not going to influence them, which is exactly what happens. They don't finish the job. And what eventually happens is God's people begin to splinter and they break from God which leads to the breaking of the nation into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, which then leads to them being taken out of the promised land and back into slavery again. God says, I've had enough. No, finish the job. The work of the blessings of God was to propel them to finish the work. So notice here in the story, in chapter 23, Joshua comes to them, he summons the leaders, he reminds them of God's blessings, and then he begins to charge them. I mean, I love this. He charges them in two ways. Verse 6, Therefore, here comes the charge. You ready? Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand or to the left. Now jump down to verse 11. Actually, verse 10, moving into verse 11. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord's Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God to love the Lord your God. It challenges them in two ways. To continue to receive the blessings of God, then they were to do two things. They were to obey the law of the Lord, obey the word of God, and then they were to love the Lord. In other words, don't mix with the other nations. Don't mix with the other gods. Kick those people out who are following false gods. They do not follow me, God says. Now kick them out and follow my word alone. Follow me exclusively. Back in verse 7, he says it this way, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of their names, of the names of their gods, or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling, in verse 8, to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. Why would God, why would Joshua bring that up? Because he knows that they are prone to this. We are prone to follow the gods of this culture, the gods of this world. No, obey the word of God. To obey the word of God led to blessing, but not just to obey the word of God, but to love the Lord their God, verse 11. I mean, they were to be very adamant, very vigilant about loving the Lord their God. By the way, both of them are a matter of the heart. Both of them, whether to love or to obey the word of God or to love the Lord their God, were matters of the heart. Israel was not to think. They were not to speak. They were not to rely on. They were not to joke about. They were not to do anything in their life outside 
of obeying the, Lord, the word of God and loving the Lord their God. And what you need to understand is the same principle for us in our day and age. God demanded absolute obedience. Not 90%, not 95%, not 99%, complete and total obedience. Demanded absolute obedience. He demands that from us when it comes to Jesus Christ. So he summons the leaders, he reminds the leaders, then he charges the leaders, and watch this, he warns the leaders. Look at, down at verse 12 with me. For if you turn back and you cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you, and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, verse 13, this is what he says, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns on your eyes. If you jump down to verse 16, this is what he says. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. I love this about the Lord. He doesn't do the bait and the switch with us. He doesn't promise us one thing and then lie to us the next. He doesn't or lie to us one way and change his mind the next. God's transparent. He doesn't tell us everything we need to know, but he does tell us enough. And he's certainly telling them up front that if you'll follow me, God says, things will go well for you. If you follow the way of the world and you follow your own hearts, things will go badly for you. He says, if you, if you abandon the Lord, you forfeit the power of God, in verse 12. You forfeit the power of God. If you choose to just follow your own way, it will be a remnant, it'll be a fraction, it will be a, a, a fake relationship with me. Because it will sound good, it will look good, but it will be without power. And listen, church, central, we are nothing without the power of God. I mean, think in terms of as a church, you can look the part, you can sound the part, you can build buildings, you can read, read Bibles, you can open Bibles, you can dress look, dress the right way. You can sing big songs of the faith in all ways, but they can be, be missing the power of God, missing the spirit of God. And you can be as dead as any other church on any block. God's people here needed to understand that if they abandoned the Lord, and they forfeited his power. It wasn't that his power went away, it was that they forfeited it. And when you forfeit the power of God, it leaves you vulnerable and defeated. When they broke the, the covenant of God, and if and when they would do this, then it would also ignite the anger of God, which is what we see in verse 16 there at the end of the chapter. The Lord gives, the Lord can take away. He can give them the promised land. He can take down cities, city-states, but he can also take them out of the promised land and send in big civilizations like Babylonians and the Assyrians to ravage the land. He can give them instruction on how to build the temple as he did with Solomon. Beautiful edifice, the gold and the silver and all of that. And then he can send in one moment a dictator to come in and ransack the temple and take all the gold. Because at the end of the day, it's just gold. It's just silver. The power of God's gone. And so listen, how does this all apply to us as a church? How does it apply to your life? Well, listen, there is so much blessing when you follow the Lord exclusively with your life. 
listen, Central, listen to you as an individual. God is promising you and me that there is so much power when you and I follow the Lord exclusively, but there is judgment when we abandon him. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the Lord. I don't want to miss what he wants to do in my life. I don't, want to, I, don't want, uh, want, I don't want to miss what God wants to do at Central. I don't want to miss what God wants to do in my own family. And so what is the pathway to blessing in your life? Well, it's found in Jesus Christ. Now understand this, Central. Ever understand this as an individual. There is nothing apart from Jesus Christ. So how, is, how do you live in light of this? Well, you live first and foremost, and I'm going to just break down three very simple and clear ways for us this morning to think in terms of how we live in light and gain the blessings and enjoy the blessings of God. First and foremost, you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand, many of us in this room understand this verse in John 14, 6, right? Jesus said, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can do nothing. It doesn't matter how great you are in your career, your job as a family man, how many grandkids you have, how many great-grandkids you have. If you're not following Jesus Christ, you are missing the life God has for you, completely missing it. You can have 30 great-grandchildren, and you can have the pictures all over your household. You can be starting out young in your life, and you have your entire life ahead of you. And if you don't get this right, then you miss the life that God has for you. The life of blessing, the, God, the life that God wants to bring into your life. And so, to follow Jesus Christ fully and completely with your heart. We understand that the good news of Jesus Christ is this, you can't fix yourself. I've talked to people time and time again who want to clean their life up and then come to Jesus and they just can't do it. We can't do it. We need Jesus Christ to transform our hearts. We need Jesus Christ to redeem us. We need Jesus Christ to come into our lives and save us. And he, the good news is this, he's done all the work on the cross and from the grave for us. God is perfect and holy. You can't stand in his presence. There's nothing as good that, that you can do in your life to, to, to cause God to look at you and say, wow, you've done enough to stand before me. Because of sin, it cuts us off from God which is why God had to come and do for you and I what we could never do for ourselves. Jesus stepped into this world, into this ugly world. And he went through what he went through all those years on earth. He went to the cross, having not sinned, being a perfect sacrifice, and he did all of that because he loves you and he loves me. And the first step for you to understand the life that God has for you, to understand and gain the blessings of God and what he wants to do in your life is to follow Jesus Christ first and foremost with your life. You need to do that today. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but here secondly, listen, you remove the things that are incompatible with Christ. So check this out. You follow Jesus Christ and then you remove. You follow and then you remove. You follow Jesus Christ with your heart. You believe in him. You call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Then you begin to remove the things from your life. And even as a seasoned Christian, maybe you are in this room, you begin to remove. You need to continue to remove the things from your life that are incompatible with the things of Christ. Incompatible with this newfound relationship. This newfound identity that you have in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was perfect. He was sinless. There's your standard. Go. 
ye remove the things that are beginning to in, be incompatible with who he is and with his character. Whatever you're doing, who, however you are, you're beginning to compete with Jesus Christ. You see, who you are, if you try to step out and be the person you want to be instead of the person Jesus Christ wants you to be, then you're competing with who Jesus Christ wants to change you to become. And it's incompatible, so how do you do that? Well, you begin to put off. In fact, there's a great verse the Bible reminds us of, and the Apostle Paul says this to the church in Corinth. In chapter 3 in Colossians, it says this, leading up to this passage, he says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you have followed Jesus, seek the things that are above, whether Christ is, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above. Don't get, don't get caught up in this world. Don't get caught up in the culture. Set your mind on the things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. That's a good word. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now watch this. This is a continuous process of putting off and putting on. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And if these, these, in these you once walked, past tense, when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We're to put it off. If you've got a dependence upon yourself, if you've grown self-reliant, if you've grown to a place where you don't pray very often, then that is an indicator that you've grown to depend upon your own self, depend upon your own wisdom, not desperate towards God moving in your life. Put it off. If you're struggling with pride in your life, put it off. Ask the Lord to humble you. Ask the Lord to move you to a place, a posture of submission before him. Move you to a posture of, of, of being yielded to his power in your life. Put it off. God doesn't condone our sin. He doesn't look the other way to our sin. It hinders him. It grieves him. And so we put it off. It leaves you powerless. It leaves me powerless when I just deal with sin in a little, in, in, in a very nonchalant way, in the sense of which, oh, that's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to move on with my life. No, it's a big deal because it hinders the power of God in my life. Put it off. Follow Christ. And then remove whatever's incompatible with Christ. And then here's the third thing. Listen, you clothe yourself with Christ. If you want to experience the blessings of God when it comes to obedience in our lives, Right? then you clothe yourselves with the power and the work of God. Colossians 3 continues. Paul's not done. He doesn't say just take off stuff. He says put on stuff. And in verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other. It doesn't talk about Facebook. It doesn't talk about uh, uh, the talking over in the corner or talking around. It says being patient with one another and forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must be forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, one church. And be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And on and on he goes. Listen, we got to put stuff off. I love this other passage of scripture in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. I love the metaphor, the picture here. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If you want to understand the blessing and the power of God in your life, then you follow Jesus. You remove what's incompatible with Christ that's, that's competing with him. And then you clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, you surrender and you submit to his authority in your life, the spirit of God living in you. You stop grieving him and you stop, start letting him run your life. Dictate your decisions. Help you think about the crazy world we live in. Help you process the things that are difficult, the things that are challenging. You begin to clothe yourself with Jesus Christ. Listen, there's so much blessing when you follow the Lord exclusively with your life. But if you choose not to follow him, it leads to judgment. We don't want that for our lives. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us as a church. And so let's pursue Jesus Christ fully with our hearts. You with me? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. You're here today. God may be speaking to you about giving your life to Jesus, following him with your heart. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'll be here at the front when we stand and sing this song together. What God wants you to do is to have the courage to come and say, listen, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm just tired of living my life half-heartedly for him. I'm ready to follow him fully with my heart. Then God will save you. He will rescue you from yourself and he will set you on a pathway of understanding what it means to experience the blessing of obedience in your life. Listen, Central, we need to commit to this as a church. Let's commit to this. Let's commit to following him fully and wholeheartedly with our lives and as a church. In every decision that we make and all that we do, we want to experience the power and the manifest presence of Jesus Christ among us. We want to see him transforming lives. We want to see him transforming us. And so this morning, let's commit to that. As we stand and sing and we worship him together, let's commit to that. Let's pray towards that end. If you're here today and God is speaking to you about joining our church or following through with believers' baptism or maybe God's leading you in an area of ministry and you just don't understand what that means and looks like, God is... God wants you to just to explore that. Explore that. Let me pray for us. We'll stand and sing together. God, thank you this morning for the time we've had in your word. We give this time to you because we believe that, Lord, it's not just a, an addition to our service. It is part of our service. We're here today to respond to your word. And you never bring us to a verse in scripture. You never bring us to a story in the Bible. You never bring us to a book in the Bible without calling us to respond. So we're here to respond to you by faith, by giving our lives to you, giving our hearts to you, by giving our church to you. We give these things into your hand, these decisions into your hands. Give us courage. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand with us and let's sing together and worship him. I sing, oh, 